Our Heavenly Father, again, again and again, we are reminded by you, by the Holy Spirit, to bring forth thanksgivings and praises to you. For you are the one who is sovereign. You created all things. You sustain them all. No matter how many billions of stars and perhaps as many The different uh, things we see in the heavenlies with these telescopes uh, currently available just reveals an expanse of creation that's just way beyond our imagination. And so, Father, we th we thank you for uh, the revelation that you are the one that created it all and you sustain it through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then most wonderfully, Father, after having created Adam and then Eve, even after they had taken the fruit that Satan suggested would make them wise and would enable them to become like you, Heavenly Father, even after that, you had prepared a salvation to be delivered in due time. So, Father, thank you so much for the plan of redemption and for bringing past most wonderfully, most, most wonderfully. And for the record, we have here in the word of the living God, your word that you preserved after having revealed it to many and then cast it into writing and then preserved it uh, for our current use. And many blessings. So, Father, thank you so much for that. We have so much to be thankful for and <clears throat> and to realize that you're continuing to work today and your work is in the body of Christ, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, Father, may we not forget that. In this dark world, we are the lights. We're thankful for the great uh, blessings that we've already uh, heard reported here this morning. So many that could have been reported that weren't, right? But uh, day by day, and there are many reports of how you are working. Thank you that we can rest, whatever the circumstances in the world, and specifically in Europe, Eastern Europe are concerned there in Ukraine, which surely the enemy of our souls is a work there causing destruction but more than that he's promoting lies everywhere and uh, it's hard for us to find truth even when we should seek it but father we we always have the the blessing of your word and the promises we find there and so we thank you for the comfort that we have enjoyed that we would have peace in the midst of these uh, struggles in the world even in our own nation that with um Hard times seemingly inevitable as things continue to change here. Father, I, I just pray that you would continue to give us that peace that passes all understanding and may it enable us to rest no matter what our circumstances. I pray for wisdom, though, as several have expressed it today, <clears throat> that we might continue to live above the fray honorably and uh, and yet wisely, Father, please give us discernment <clears throat> regarding your truth and its application to our lives. And may we live lives that uh, reveal to others that our trust is ultimately in you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity this morning. And may uh, the word be a great blessing to us. Thank you for each one that's participating and those that will listen in later, Father, and there are many from week to week to do, and we're so thankful for that. And we pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. Just so you know, there are more and more every week listening in to the podcasts of the morning messages here that I'm putting up each week and <clears throat> available so easily over the various podcasting services. <clears throat> like uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, uh, Google Music, and so forth. 
excuse me, my voice is really not good. <clears throat> well, where are we today? Uh, we've reached a certain point. I hoped, <laughs> I hoped incorrectly, as it turns out, but I hoped to finish up uh, our uh, studies in the second great theme in Genesis today, the great theme of God's sovereignty and how that's revealed throughout Genesis, even on every page. And we hope to finish that today and next time move on to our next theme, but uh, it's not to be. So uh, we'll get close, but not quite to that point I wanted to reach. Well, just by way of review, and this will launch directly into uh, the sacred history of Jacob and then Joseph today. But to introduce that, last time we did look at some of this, and you remember that last time we saw a number of things. We saw how Joseph was... Uh, was not only a beloved son, perhaps the most, then later, perhaps no longer the most, because Benjamin be, became the center of uh, Jacob's life. But when once Joseph was was lost to him, he thought permanently. But um, what we've seen is that uh, Joseph was uh, treated very harshly by his brethren and uh, sold off as a slave. Uh, that's where we'll be starting today. And then we're going to look to see exactly how God, step by step, by his sovereign work, not only saved Joseph from the consequences of slavery, but used him to save an entire nation. And so... Um, how did all that happen? Well, remember, Joseph was Joseph was given by God dreams, <laughs> and uh, he loved to talk about them, and that got him into great trouble, <laughs> did it not? <laughs> and uh, as a result, his brothers turned against him. And rather harshly, to say the least, uh, some more than others, but most of them wanted to, well, some wanted to kill Joseph. And others didn't want to kill him, but wanted to harm him. And so they decided to uh, put him in a pit <laughs> and then to go from there. So uh, I think rather than reviewing that, Let's just jump into the center of that story. And uh, Rex, would you please begin by reading for us today from Genesis 37, verses 23, 24, and 25. Rex? Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yes, very well. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, <clears throat> excuse me, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Thank Joseph, you. Excuse me, go ahead. <clears throat> Thank you, Rex. Um, Okay, so how does it all develop? Well, I mean, I think we all know the story well, but um, it says uh, that they're passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph unto Egypt. Ah. Uh, then they faked it. They made it look like Joseph had been uh, killed by a wild animal. 
They took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son's mourning. Unto my son mourning. I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, the captain of the guard. So that's how our story begins today. Joseph's been sold into slavery. Humanly speaking, nothing could have been worse. But as we've seen so often, and now as we near the end of this inspired Genesis account, with God, all things are possible. The Lord God is sovereignly able and always will accomplish his perfect will, right? Sometimes through the very difficult human circumstances. So we see that the sovereignty of God is revealed on every page and uh, that Joseph has been sold off as a slave ends up, as we shall see, and as I'm sure you all already know, one of the greatest inspired narratives in Scripture about how God works to accomplish his eternal plan. Our outline today is quite simple. The focus is on national blessings. The Lord sovereignly provides national blessings for Israel. And there are two parts. The first, the most amazing story of all, is what leads from Joseph's enslavement to, and up to his final words. The most amazing story of all, of how God has worked. And then secondly, the Lord God presents Jacob to Joseph. And he founds the nation of Israel upon a resurrection hope. <laughs> the Lord God presents Jacob to Joseph, of course, of course alive, right? And he founds, Jacob founds the nation of Israel upon a resurrection hope. These are precious teachings in God's word. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have in preparing. Next time, we'll look at the end of the story and finally reach Joseph's final words of testimony. Jacob's and Joseph's final words of testimony. Praise God. Wow. So first, the most amazing story of all is what leads from Joseph's enslavement to his final words. Now, I don't mean the most amazing story in the entire Bible. There are others more amazing regarding our Lord Jesus, of course, and we, we know of many of them, right? But this is in Genesis. This is the most amazing story of all in the book of Genesis. And it takes more more chapters to uh, enumerate those many workings of the Lord God uh, than uh, any other story regarding any other person, right? So there we are. Um, think about Joseph um, and Jacob having, he thought, just lost Joseph. Joseph had dreams. They were prophetic dreams. We looked at that last time. 
And uh, because of the dreams which he openly shared with his brethren, his brethren, with ego driving them one step of the way through life, right? It seems most of the time, right? <laughs> they they were not looking forward to what Joseph was. Joseph was looking forward to his brethren bowing before him, even his father bowing before him, because that's what was in the dream. I believe that Joseph knew that the dreams were the revelation given by God. Otherwise, there's no way to explain a lot of this, right? Others explain it in other ways, that Joseph was young, he was, he had a big mouth, <laughs> whatever, right? I think there's more to it than that, much more. Um, and so Joseph uh, was treated uh, by his brethren as often as the case, where ultimately even murder might be considered an option, right? Uh, what was Jacob thinking through all of this? Remember, Jacob had just come through the loss of Rachel, right? Um, and uh, so it's just hard to imagine how difficult everything might have seemed to him, right? So let's now, uh, move ahead. Um, oh, and I'd like I'd like uh, Linda to read. There's six six verses now that uh, bring us up to speed with exactly what happened in Egypt once Joseph arrived as uh, <laughs> a bondman of, um, in this case, Ishmaelite traders. Ishmaelite traders. So, Linda, please read 30, chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and profiter, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that Joseph was with, that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over all his, over his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. And it came to pass from that, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew aught, not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat, as Joseph was a godly person and well favored. Thank you, Linda. So, again, we see that the sovereignty of God is written on every page, because here a slave <laughs> ends up, uh, it says, finding grace in his master's sight right um that's just amazing uh it's all one step at a time takes some time to happen too but um nevertheless god raises up joseph into a high place within potiphar's domain right and potiphar is a high ranking official right as high as they get uh, under pharaoh so that means Joseph now is a person of significant uh, authority and uh, certainly can be used of the Lord. Well, that means he's going to be the target of Satan, doesn't it? <laughs> and what happens? Uh, I'm not going to go into any of the details of it, but hard times immediately come once Joseph's been elevated in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife makes false accusations against Joseph, and he's imprisoned. Potiphar believes his wife, imprisons. And remember, he's in charge of the prison, so for, for him to be in prison, that means he's in the main Egyptian prison, right? 
and uh, you would think uh, set aside permanently from <laughs> the work of Almighty God uh, in delivering ultimately anyone, right? He goes from the highest position in his master's realm to the lowest. All in a moment. You might think that Satan was involved, perhaps. Certainly working through this evil woman who had in mind uh, much more than Satan's temptation. She also had her own perverse motives well in mind in uh, what happened there. And that brings us to the next section where, uh, oh my, what happens? (laughs) Pharaoh has some troubling dreams. And uh, turns out only Joseph can interpret them. (laughs) I'm leaving out a lot, but I think you can fill in the blanks, right? And so Joseph does interpret Pharaoh's troubling dreams. And uh, that's just an amazing thing to Pharaoh. After all, this man here somehow knows what only gods can know. Right. <laughs> and in chapter 41, verse 39 or verse 38, Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And uh, because they are facing now troubles, the dreams themselves reveal coming famine. OK, uh, sufficient perhaps to destroy Egypt. Right. And so Pharaoh needs Wisdom that he doesn't have. Where can that be found? And uh, his servants say, well, we already know a man who can inter- who interpreted your dreams. Surely he would have wisdom <laughs> sufficient to handle a coming famine, right? If anybody could, right? And so Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 39, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Verse 42, Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. That's amazing right there, if you think of it. The ring was the seal on sacred Legal document and legal documents, right? He put his ring on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. In verse 45, there would be practical implications too for Joseph, Pharaoh, and personal implications for for Joseph. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnathaniah, and he gave him to wife. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How old was he when he was captured and sold as a slave? 17. Much time had passed. 13 years, but you see how God worked, right? Now, we think about Joseph throughout all of this. He must be in constant amazement. First, he's raised up, and then he's cast down, and then he's raised up even higher, and now he's at the highest, right? What is he thinking? (laughs) I am quite sure, and I'm sure you are too, He's thinking that those original dreams that he was given when he was much younger were in fact prophetic, right? Just as he had thought, and uh, God was going to bring to pass great miracles. So the famine comes, apparently comes first of all to the promised land where Jacob and the rest of his and all of his family are living, except, for, of course, for Joseph, who's in Egypt. So 
as was common throughout their history, they would uh, go to Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket. Remember, the promised land was arid and dry and difficult to farm at this point in time. Um, but uh, Egypt was a wonderful place for farming and with the River Nile and the alluvial plain, which had the best uh, land for farming in the, in the whole area, right? So, so Jacob sends his sons, except for Benjamin, of course, he holds them back, but he sends his other sons. He sends 10 sons to Egypt to buy wheat that they might survive the famine. And this begins the rest of the story. One of the greatest uh, works of Almighty God is what God is going to do uh, at this point on. God works through human suffering and loss, but brings blessings not possible any other way, it seems, for sinners such as ourselves. So there are many applications here. In chapter 42, uh, the brethren arrive and uh, says there, Joseph saw his brethren, verse 7, and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. And he said to them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, You are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. So there begins begins this great, um, really, deception. Uh, I've always wondered about this. I mean, how can we justify Joseph's deceptions, which are many here? Okay. And uh, I'm not really going to explain that for you. I just want to say this, that it all was of the Lord like other things were as well, which uh, you well know of and which we'll get to as we go on here, right? So, uh, he says, who are you? And they say, well, we're 12 brethren. This is verse 13 in uh, chapter 42. As you read along there with me today, um, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And one is not. <laughs> they are before the one who is not and don't know it. And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, You're spies. Hereby shall ye be proved. So he's going to set up a test, right? By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. So Joseph devises a complex exchange of one brother for another, of Simeon for Benjamin, to prove whether or not his brethren are spies and have lied about their mission. But, of course, Jacob, Jacob will not give up Benjamin if his life depends on it, or will he? And so we continue the readings, and uh, I would like Lewis to read chapter 42, verse 38. And he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which ye go, then shall ye bring down my great hairs with sorrow to the grave. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> due to the severity of the famine, um, Benjamin is eventually sent to Joseph for food. Uh, Jacob finally, finally gives in. Um, oh, my. If things get difficult enough, you know, 
that's what happens. So reading on then, Lydia, would you please read verses 29 through 31 about what happens when Benjamin arrives in Egypt? Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. Thank you, Lydia. Well, now there's another level of trickery that Jacob, that Joseph rather uses. Uh, he implicates Benjamin in a theft that he, Joseph himself, has instigated. <laughs> you know, he puts his silver cup <laughs> in the bags of wheat. He sends them back with the wheat uh, and with the money they they brought to buy the wheat, and that's included there. He doesn't even keep that back, but he puts the silver cup, his own special silver cup, in Benjamin's bag, right? And so uh, then he sends off his servants after them because he says, uh, there's been a theft. Uh, my silver cup has been taken by someone, must be one of you, right? And so they find uh, the cup in Benjamin's bag. Oh, my, the depth of <laughs> deception is pretty great indeed, isn't it? And you would think that nothing could ever come of this. This is totally unbelievable, really, from our limited perspective. But Judah goes to Joseph and speaks privately with him. Go and read that story. Uh, that's uh, in chapter 44. But uh, go and read the story about Judah's plea, which does convince Joseph at this point in time to finally reveal himself to his brethren. And that's probably the most moving part of this sacred narrative for us. And so that brings us to the next section where the Lord God presents Jacob to Joseph, and he founds the nation of Israel upon a resurrection hope. And it starts with Joseph revealing himself to his brethren. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 9. Patty, would you please read these great words? They're overwhelming, really. Please read them for us. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, 
Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Okay, thank you. <laughs> there you are, right? It was not you that sent me hither, but God. Oh my, this really expands our minds greatly to see that the sovereignty of God works in ways far beyond human understanding, right? And God can even use, in this case, he's He's using, um, um, first of all, the treachery of uh, Joseph's brothers and, and then uh, Joseph's own uh, scheming and uh, trickery and so forth and so on. But it's all going to work out exactly with the result that God wanted, right? In other words, he's working behind the scenes to accomplish a great purpose indeed. Okay, so um, this section ends in chapter uh, 45 verses 14 and 15 uh, and he fell upon his brothers his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck moreover he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that his brother talked brethren talked with him oh my um so uh, that brings us to um the conclusion of this particular story, and uh, that is in uh, Genesis 45, verse 28. Tom, would you read that for us, please? And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Thank you. <laughs> Well, we've skipped a, a lot there. Uh, there was a, the whole section on how Joseph commanded that uh, many wagons be uh, produced. And uh, when the brethren went back with, you know, enough food for the family there to survive uh, the trip back, they take the wagons, right? And uh, so eventually they come back into the promised land and Jacob sees the wagons coming and it, it takes note of that in the text here. It says um, in verse 27, just before what Tom read, they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And so, as Tom read, he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so, <laughs> they leave and go to where? What's the midpoint uh, where they stop? Of course, Beersheba. <laughs> a fitting place to stop for Jacob when you consider his entire history. Remember how many times he's been in Beersheba, how many times there have been altars built, and he worshiped there that the Lord God of his father and grandfather had blessed him and kept him, right? It started with, remember, that's where um, when when um, Rebecca sent off uh, Hagar, okay, into the wilderness, uh, she went into the land of Beersheba, right, and was preserved there. That's where Abimelech and Jacob had made a, a covenant. In fact, the, the town is named after the covenant because Beersheba means oath of the covenant. Okay, so... Uh, I'm sure Jacob is remembering that when he arrives back here now in Beersheba on the way with his entire family and everything they own on the way to Egypt, right? God was delivering them. Beersheba was a proper place to go for that. And remember, it was in Beersheba where Jacob had stopped 
on his way to Laban's land. And then on the way back, years later, 20 years later, on the way back with Rachel and Leah and many, many children, <laughs> on the way back, uh, where did they stop? But in Beersheba. And every time, I think it's every time, Jacob offers sacrifice and worships the Lord God. So here they are in Beersheba. What happens in Beersheba? <laughs> Chapter 46. Uh, Gail, would you read these amazing verses? 46, 1 through 7. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Thank you, Gail. So there's something most wonderful here, if we would just look at it carefully in uh, verses 3 and 4. So what does the Lord God say? He says, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will make the, the, there make of thee a great nation. So it is a nation, not just a family, that will be founded by Almighty God, right? I will make of thee a great nation. And then verse 4, I will go down with thee into Egypt. And what does it say next? And I also surely will bring you up again. Hmm. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. This is prophetic. Uh, <laughs> and it gives a strong indication that the promises are not going to be fulfilled except in resurrection. God is going to create the great nation in resurrection where he says, I will also surely bring thee up again. He does not bring him up again. Jacob will die in Egypt, as will all of them, okay? But God will, nevertheless, create a great nation. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. It would be in resurrection that the promises would be fulfilled. Well, such a great comfort these words must have been for Jacob, or more accurately, correctly, at this point, he's called Israel, as you notice, because he is a prince with God. Jacob is sort of the name of his humanity, and, and uh, Israel the name of his, uh, <laughs> what, spirituality or something of that sort, right? Um, but this is not quite yet the end of the story. Jacob actually lives on for another 17 years. Another 17 years. And the Lord God, the sovereign Lord of glory, blesses him and his family throughout the famine in the best part of Egypt. Twelve years after the famine ends, they're living in the best part of Egypt. And then he dies, but not before he makes covenant with his sons. And that's what I want us to see as we close today. The covenant that he makes with his sons before he dies. Genesis 47, verses 27 and following. 
And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not. And these are the key words here that I want you to see. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, swear unto me. And he swear unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Well, this is most remarkable if you do a little comparison of scripture with scripture. You will find that uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, where the great works of faith are recorded, right? And usually just one, sometimes a few, but usually just one great work of faith is singled out, right? In that great listing there in Hebrews 11. And what is the great work that's singled out for Jacob in Hebrews 11:21? It is what we've just read. Jacob requires Joseph to agree to take his body into the promised land after he dies and to bury him there. Where? In the place where Abraham was buried, where Isaac was buried and their wives, right? Where Leah was buried as well in that particular place. That's what's singled out in Hebrews 11 as the great work of faith of Jacob. That one thing. Most wonderful to see this. So the reason, of course, is that Jacob's faith was a resurrection faith, you see. And when he died, he made that clear by saying, take my bones to the promised land because God had promised the land and a nation, a national heritage, that resurrection would bring into being, right? Someday. And so it will be, right? So we see how God worked behind the scenes to bring to pass what was required in the life of Jacob in order that he might be truly the patriarch, even truly uh, Israel, the nation then named after him, right? And we'll see how the whole story ends next time. We're not quite finished yet. Jacob hasn't died yet, okay? We'll see next time how that all works and how finally... Israel's future heritage as a great nation will be set into concrete in this revealed word of the living God, right? So that we might all be encouraged by it. We go back and read it over and over again and find uh, that God is truly sovereign. This is sacred history here in the book of Genesis. Praise God. Well, I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's certainly been a blessing to me to see that their faith was indeed a resurrection faith. And they didn't understand this from the beginning. They had to learn. But they had to learn, and they had to learn through living the life that God provided. And it was not always what they had asked for. Many times there was great trial and suffering, right? But God brought them through it strengthening their faith in such a wonderful way. And that meeting there when when uh, Joseph reveals himself to his brethren is absolutely 
astounding, is it not? <laughs> Are we not encouraged greatly? And then to see Jacob requiring of Joseph the promise. Remember who he's requiring this of. This is the man in charge in Egypt, right? And read that story on your own to see how he does that later. We'll look at it uh, next week, but read it in preparation, I hope. You'll be greatly blessed. Well, are we comforted in our trials and our sufferings? Are our anxieties uh, lifted to consider that God is at work? And as you well know from Paul's letters, his work today under grace is in and through us, right? What a blessed hope we have. It's eternal, and this life is a preparation for eternity. Lord bless you all greatly as you continue to enjoy him and all the riches of his grace. His grace is always sufficient. The sovereign God says so through Paul. It's been recorded. It was the Lord Jesus. Remember, he said, my grace is always sufficient. Amen. Amen. Well, are there any comments today as we close? It's quite a story, isn't it? It's, this is revealed history. Don't forget that. <laughs> Father God, thank you for gathering us. What a what a blessing to see inscribed on these sacred pages before us today. Not just stories but sacred history of how you ultimately would bring forth the seed of the woman into this world through a long line of your chosen ones. You singled out one and then through him brought forth ultimately his son and his son and his sons and a nation. Uh, a nation continues today, Father. They are the apple of your eye, even though they have not responded in saving faith. But the time will come when uh, that nation will be revealed as elect, as the true apple of your eye, and you will bless them accordingly and eventually give them the kingdom. So praise God for their Messiah, our Savior, Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, who's such a blessing to us, who comforts us in every trial and is always there to uh, heal our wounds. And we just pray and thank you in his name and amen and amen. <laughs>